0: You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, Pastor Rick and Annette are on another continent. They're in Africa this morning, or probably this afternoon or evening for them. And uh, there's a lot of things going on, concerts, workshops for pastors that they're doing. We have about 25 or 30 others from their church that are with them there in Swaziland. So I'm Lewis McLean, and I'll be speaking today, <clears throat> and uh, I'm glad you're here. Friday, I was riding my bicycle around Lake Overholser, and um, it got a little hot. It was kind of warm uh, late afternoon. I was making a couple of laps, and I reached down for where I normally have my water bottle. And where I normally have my water bottle, there was nothing, <clears throat> nothing, absolutely nothing. And I remembered... I'd filled my water bottle, put ice in it, then put cold water in that and left it right on the kitchen cabinet. And there it was. And so after about an hour, hour and a half of riding my bike, I was thirsty. I was so thirsty. What do you drink when you're thirsty? Um, Powerade? Gatorade? Do you drink water? Maybe uh, purified water. Maybe a Brahms strawberry malt with pecans. Um, An energy drink. Maybe you get a, um, a quad venti skinny latte made at 100 degrees with a shot of vanilla and hazelnut and extra foam. I'm not sure what you get when you're thirsty. Some people even suggest that one of the best thirst quenchers and refreshers is chocolate milk now so when i read that i I justified what i've been doing all my life i love chocolate milk so maybe you might try drinking a little bit of chocolate milk well um this week there's a lot of people thirsty people going on spring break college students going to florida going to mexico all sorts of destinations Matter of fact, there's an alternative then. Some of the students are going places that others maybe aren't going. Let me just read you a few alternative spring break locations. Boston University is going to Missoula. Some of their students, they hand out food to the homeless. Virginia Tech University, some of their students are planting tree seedlings. Austin Peay University, they're going to be going to New Jersey and help clean up after the storm. Howard University, some of their students are going to Baltimore. And they're going to be mentoring to junior high kids, elementary kids, to help them catch up on their homework. Here at SNU, I think there's three or four different trips. I know there's one group from SNU going out to Arizona, to the Indian Reservation, to work with some of the poor there. Um, I would like to just tell you, when I was in college... We didn't do those things. <clears throat> and I'm not sure. Our group of guys were kind of a little bit on the crazy side. And what we did when we were thirsty is uh, usually it was Dr. Pepper. We'd drink late at night or Mountain Dew. And our Mountain Dew wasn't like the Mountain Dew you have now. Our Mountain Dew had hunks of citrus that would float around. you kind of shake it up and it would, it would look like there's something there that shouldn't be. And so as we would drink these soft drinks at night... We said let's have a contest. Let's have a contest to see um, which floor in the dorm can drink the most pop. And uh, so we had a contest. Let me show you a few pictures. Um, this contest. This right here. This is second floor. Um, let's go to the next slide. Okay, I think this is third floor. Uh, if you if you know Gary Pickcock goes to our church, you know Diffie Motor there on Reno. He's the bottom row, second from the right. He has this tough kind of, I'm going to drink a lot of pop uh, face there. Let's go to the next slide. And here's some guys already getting into it. Next slide. This guy has drank about eight bottles. There's something happens to you when you've drank about eight bottles of pop. Let me show you the next slide. This is what happens. (laughs) People paid twenty-five cents to come and watch this. Each floor had five contestants on its team, <clears throat> and you had a trainer, and you competed against the other floors who had five contestants and a trainer, and they put out there fifty bottles of pop, and um, and the goal was to drink the pop before any other teams would drink the pop. Now, none of the teams were able to drink all fifty bottles. And so then the next criteria of winning is drinking more bottles than the other teams drink. And so, um, and as you would go, there would be um, these crisis moments when one of the players has had a little bit too much. The trainer would come along with the trash can. They would count how many bottles they would drink and they are now out of the competition and the rest of the team had to drink the pop. It's amazing. It is amazing what we do when we're thirsty. Well, today we continue the sermon series on cross words, words that Jesus spoke while on the cross. And during those hours that he was dying on the cross, he, he spoke some very significant words, and we're going to study those today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 27, and I'm going to start reading with verse 32. I think the words are going to be on your screen. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. And they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the school. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. Now we switch to Mark. Mark chapter 15, verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima Sabakathini, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those standing near heard this. They said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled his sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And then in John, chapter 19, verse 28. Later, knowing that everything now had been finished, and so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said... I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge, put it in it, put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant, lifted it to Jesus' lips, and when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It's finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's pray. Father, help me as I open the Word. Help me to teach truth. Help the power of your Word change the way we think and the way we live. Amen. Every word spoken from the cross, extremely important. Very important. Thirsty. Thirsty. Really, this statement, I am thirsty, only appears in one of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke does not include that particular statement. Only John says the words of Jesus, I am thirsty. And when John writes something, um, he's interested in more than just the details that he's writing. He's interested in the meaning behind every word that he crafted the Gospel of John with. And so when we read these words, I am thirsty, there's significance behind those words. Let me give you a little bit of a a preview here. There were three opportunities for Jesus to drink. The very first opportunity he had to drink was even before they put him on the cross. They were preparing him for crucifixion and, and Matthew and Mark states that someone offered him some wine that had included... Um, some other products in them. I think it was myrrh or gall. And and the scripture says that Jesus tasted that and refused to drink it. It was probably put in the wine secretly by someone who loved Jesus. Because at that time, those particular herbs, that that gall, the, the stuff that was put in the wine was probably an anesthetic to try to reduce the pain. It was probably to help him maybe even pass away sooner because the crucifixion as a way of dying was slow and agonizing. And so probably someone who loved him was wanting to put something in there to keep him from suffering. And scripture says when Jesus tasted it, he refused. He refused to drink it. Do you see, this is what he had come for. And, and if in the suffering, the greatest example of love could be given, then let him suffer. Now, I'm just the opposite. If I get a headache, I want, I want to put a Tylenol in there. If there's <clears throat> sore muscle, I get all the bengay in the house and put it on that muscle. When my wife is expecting Aubrey to be born... Um, there was a new anesthetic out for women, and, and I think it was called an epidural. And, and so if they could put that in there now, it's very, very common. All the women uh, love it. They'd pay thousands of millions of dollars for an epidural. <clears throat> At that time, there was only one person kind of in town that could do an epidural. And uh, so if you went to Mercy Hospital on Wednesdays, you could have an epidural. Uh, the other days, she was in other hospitals, and so we were hoping and praying that Rita would be able to have Aubrey at Mercy Hospital on a Wednesday and, uh, and get out of the pain. Jesus did not try to get out of the pain. Matter of fact, he embraced it. And so when he's offered that wine with a the, with the painkiller, with whatever, maybe to reduce his suffering, he said, no, this is my chosen mission And I'm going to accept all the suffering that goes with it. He chose to suffer. Sometimes, sometimes in being a follower of Christ, there are times that we suffer. Most biblical scholars, when they hear the words that Jesus said, or read the words that Jesus said, I am thirsty, they have some different ideas what it could mean. One of the first ideas that they believe it could mean is the fact it points toward Jesus' humanity. You see, God made us, in the very beginning, human. With all of our strengths, with all of our weaknesses, with all of our quirks. He didn't make us angels. He didn't make us perfect. He made us human beings with a will to make choices and decisions, to love Him, to follow Him. He made us human on purpose. And when he made Jesus, he also made Jesus fully human. To experience everything we experience. To experience the, the temptations that we experience. To, the to experience the pain that we experience. I mean, here's Jesus. He went, he went to family reunions when you have the aunt you know, pull you by your cheek. He had, he had people that he worked with that would gripe at him because of maybe his carpentry work. He experienced everything that we experienced in life. When I was in uh, high school, I was a sophomore, and I played football. And when you're a sophomore on the football team, you don't get to play a lot. And one thing I started noticing is at the end of the games, when the games are all over, all the upperclassmen, they were dirty and sweaty. They'd been out there playing in the game. And when they came off, the cheerleaders would go and kind of hug them and congratulate them and say, boy, what a good game. And and the guys would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they'd go into the locker room. And when you're a sophomore and you're not in the game, your uniform is pure white. Pure white, and so it's really obvious who's been playing. So I learned real quick that if you get in the last 40 seconds, try to look like you've been playing. And so we get in there and we get on our knee. And so when everyone else is just kind of on the knee, I'm rubbing my knee into the grass. You know, I'm kind of, I better get down this knee and rub it in the grass. If you get in the dog pile, 30 seconds to go, grab as much mud, dirt. Kind of rub it on yourself, you know, get your jersey dirty. And so when you come out of the game, people would say, You've been in the game. Way to play. They don't know how many minutes you played. They just kind of see the dirt and the grass stains. God wanted His Son to be in the game. <clears throat> he said, I'm thirsty because. He's human. He he took on himself everything that we take on. He wanted to be in the game. Jesus said, I'm thirsty. It could mean another thing. It could mean that he drank from the cup that his father gave him. As you remember, they were in the Garden of Gethsemane and In John 18, um, this is what Jesus said. Jesus ordered Peter, put back your sword. Do you think for a minute I'm not going to drink this cup that the Father gave me? Do you see the connection? The Father has given me a cup. I've been up all night praying, going through a trial. Knowing that this is the very reason why I came to earth. This is the cup I must drink. And so in the six hours that he was on the cross, he was literally, in the hours that he was going through the trial and and the torture and the punishment, he was drinking the cup. And then when he said, I am thirsty, some believe he was talking about the cup was empty. He had completed his task. He drank the, even the dregs in the bottom of the assignment that God gave him. I am thirsty. The cup is empty. I'm done. A third reason that some people think Jesus said, I am thirsty, goes to another illustration in the Bible. And you all know it. He was traveling through Samaria with his disciples. And he sent the disciples on in. And he was sitting in a well, a well of Jacob from many, many years back. And a woman came to the well. And he asked that woman for a drink. And the woman was a Samaritan. And, and she thought that was very strange. You're, I can tell you're a Jewish man. You don't even talk to me. That's, I mean, this is very, very, very unusual. Why are you even talking to me and asking me for a drink. And in verse 10 of John 4, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. They go on and talk. Jesus said in verse 13, everyone who drinks this water from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become the spring of water, welling up into eternal life. Do you get it? The the one who is the spring of living water has been nailed to a cross by human beings. And when he said, I'm thirsty, he is saying, I'm relating to you guys. I want you to remember what I said to the woman at the well. I want you to remember when you are thirsty, there is one that will give you living water, new water, life water. And so maybe when he said, I'm thirsty, he's just reminding us of the promise. That he not only made to that woman at the well, but to each and every one of us. Another, the fourth and last thought about scholars, about saying this one thought, I am thirsty. Is that he was really saying a prayer, a very short, condensed prayer. Um, In Psalms 42, it says this. And some think that he was really thinking about this verse when he said, I'm thirsty. He was saying it as a prayer to remind him how faithful his God is. Verse 1 and 2. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O my God. My soul thirst for God, for the living God. He also could have been praying this prayer. Through that saying, I am thirsty. Isaiah forty-one seventeen. God said, when the poor and needy seek water, there is none. And their tongue is parched with thirst. But I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Do you see that Jesus was just feeling forsaken there on the cross? Praying these scriptures as his prayer. Reminding him of the faithfulness of his heavenly father. He was praying. They all four might be true. But why are we thirsty? And what do we do to take care of that thirst? Um, I was talking to one of my friends. His name is Barry. Lives in... um, California and he was telling me a story of when he was uh, a young man about six years old with his dad and they had a project one day and in this project they were going to bust up some concrete so they went into the garage the dad got his gloves on the dad got the um, the 10 pound sledge the boy got his smaller gloves on got a little hammer probably a finish hammer and they walked across the street to demolition the uh, the concrete that was uh, on a porch. And they worked. And, and Barry was saying, he looked his dad, and boy, he was slinging this sludge, and, and dust particles were flying everywhere, and uh, he was getting dirty, and he was sweating. You know how you sweat sometimes? I mean, it's, it's dripping down your nose, and kind of gets in your lip, and even comes in your mouth, and you're, <laughs> you're kind of spitting it out. And he said, my dad was just sweating, just just bullets everywhere. He's just sweating. His, his t-shirt was wet. And he said, man, I just want to be just like my dad. And so he got the hammer, and he started hitting hard with his finished hammer. And He was trying to produce the same sweat that was on his dad. They were working together, destroying this um, concrete block. And then there she came. Barry said it was his mom. Back then, <clears throat> a lot of times you would wrap up a cool drink in, in newspapers. That'd kind of keep it kind of cool. There wasn't any breeze that day. There was locusts, you know, making noise. There was uh, no, no clouds. And she came, she came by with this big glass of sweet tea. Half of it was sugar. I mean... Have ice cubes in it. He could hear the ice cubes kinda of clinking around. And she handed it first to the father. Dad kinda of smelt the cubes and the tea and Oh man, that's sweet. I just now had a new cavity because of that, you know. It was so sweet. And then handed it to his son, Barry. Barry took the jar. And he intentionally turned the jar. He could see the marks where his dad's lips had hit the jar. He wanted to drink from the same place on the jar that his dad drank from. Ah, <sighs> that's good." "Are you thirsty?" "Are you human?" In your life right now, are you experiencing some things that God knew humans would experience? Maybe you've lost your best friend. Maybe you've failed a test or a class. Maybe maybe you had word that your health is lost now. Maybe you've made some choices, some decisions to do things that now, in hindsight... That was dumb, that was bad, that was the wrong way to go. Oh, man, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't done that. Do you think God might be offering you living water? And would you like to take that, that jar and turn it around and drink from where the Father drank? Some of you might be challenged. God has maybe given you a task. Maybe God has given you an opportunity. God has given you a cup to drink from that nobody else is going to be drinking from. Are you willing to take that cup? Are you willing to take on that assignment, that mission, that goal, that ministry? Are you willing to do it even if you have to suffer and it costs you something? And he hands you the cup with a smile and you turn it and you drink from where he drank. Maybe for some of you your life is like the woman at the well and you've tried a lot of things to find life to find energy to live to find happiness and you found out that stuff and relationships and people is just not going to do it. Could it be that that God is smiling at you today and offering living water? Living water and you take it and you turn it and you drink from where he drank? For some of you, you might be praying today. Maybe, Maybe your life has no hope and it looks like God has forsaken you. It looks like everyone has forsaken you. And you just need to remember the promises that God has. That he'll be there for you. He's going to be with you. He's on your side. He is always faithful. And maybe this morning he just said, I need to remind you how faithful I am. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Take the cup. And drink from where I drink. God loves you. Us. And sometimes, even when we're thirsty, that might be the very first step. That's the first great step of becoming close to God. Take it. Drink it. Make a choice. Make a decision to receive what God is offering you today to drink.